how do we bridge people who have been deeply entrenched into these systems? I would say start with those that are three steps behind you. Get them into those conversations. Sit in the fire with them and then see how that would go. Wouldn't that be amazing if we have people who are helping that in terms of bridging people? Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. Dag iedereen! Today's conversation takes place in a small town north of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I sat down with Lana Yeleniev, community alchemist, hospice worker for dying systems, and midwife for new emerging systems. Lana introduces the two-loop model that explains her work and shares how she sets and upholds boundaries when helping others cross over from the old to new. Off we go. Lana, if I were coming to your ecosystem for the first time, Mm -hmm. Where would you take me? What do I have to experience in Amsterdam, outside of Amsterdam, to get a sense for who you are and what you do? Hmm. We won't go far. We will stay in our house and we will be having a lovely dinner and uh, talking about life over Filipino food. Filipino food. Tell me more. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, us Filipinos are known for our hospitality and also known for generosity when it comes to food. Uh, my husband, who is Serbian-Russian, always tell us uh, whenever we gather as Filipinos, we always talk about food, even though we're gathering around food. We always have food to bring to any gathering, and we always have food to bring home after a gathering. So uh, we're very notorious for for uh, having food as part of our culture uh, and, and part of how we sense-make as well as a society, you know, as, a, as Filipinos. I'm actually not that surprised because knowing what an avid community builder you are, someone who creates belonging, someone who holds space for other people. I think food is such a wonderful, I don't want to call it a tool, but it's such a great reason yeah. to gather around the table, share a meal, share conversation, share beliefs, and bring people together. So I actually think that's a really, really lovely way of framing it. I, I'm reminded of, you know, just this idea of being in a long table um, with, with food right in front of you, having deep talks around life in general, politics, parenting, uh, you know, societal change, and all of that buzzing in conversations around that while while you're also enjoying very delicious food. Uh, and, and, and for me, it's like, what else, you know, what else can we ask for if we can gather and be together 
and talk about things that matter to us and at the same time enjoy each other's company. Lana, I gotta admit, I'm very curious. You are Filipina. Yes. Your name is Yelenyev and you live in a small town or village outside of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. How did all this come to be? Can you in a few <laughs> steps describe your journey to where we find ourselves today with you? Well, uh, with regards to my journey from the Philippines to here, uh, I consider myself as a love pet. So I moved here because of my partner, because of my husband. He's Serbian-Russian, uh, but he has always been born and raised in, in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. And... That was our decision, or my, my decision. I was already working in Indonesia at that time when we met. And it was my decision to settle roots um, rather than living the expat life. So I moved to be with him. And that's how I got here. And I've been here for 15 years now. Oh, wow. That is a super long time. Yes. So you are kind of Dutch now. In some way, I guess you have assimilated. I have in other parts integrated, yes. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Lana, I'm really excited to talk to you because what I didn't even know at the time is I got my hands on your massive project, the Community Builder Workbook. Yes, uh, the Community Builders Designing Communities for Change Workbook, yes. That one, exactly. And I bought this, what, like maybe two or three years ago, having no idea who you are. I came across it on LinkedIn. I thought it looked amazing. I ordered it. And then I came across you again in Zebra's Unite. And when we started talking, I finally put the pieces together and thought, <laughs> oh my God, she is famous. She created this amazing <laughs> toolkit that is really so beautifully designed and so comprehensive for anyone who wants to be intentional about building communities. So Thank you for making the time to talk to us today. I can't wait to pick your brain about <laughs> systems change, community building, sense making and belonging. And I want to dive right in. Yes. Let's talk about the old model. Let's talk about how we're currently trying to address systemic challenges. What do you see wrong with mm. how we're doing it right now? Mm. I would say one of the things that, that is very much palpable for me when it comes to what are we doing wrong is we're still looking at the problem with the same set of eyes. Our strategy models, our practices, you know, even our sustain, you know, our lens on sustainability, it still carries a lot of the deeply ingrained ways that we've been viewing and looking at life. A lot of our systems are mechanistic. And from there, you know, we've extrapolated practices that are also mechanistic, just wrapped in a different flavor, you know, wrapped in a different packaging. And this for me is why it's becoming a, a big disservice to society, because we're not actually changing systems. We're keeping with the old and nitpicking on, okay, which parts do we want to, you know, to, to dabble on? What do you see wrong with this mechanistic way of looking at things? What is wrong with the old set of eyes that we're using? How is it not going far enough or being effective in your opinion? Mm. I would say it's because it totally took us away from life. 
Yeah, it it became too rigid, too structured, too mechanized, <laughs> but in such a way that it disconnected us from the essence of life, uh, of how uh, life has cycles, uh, life, you know, has um, different processes, you know, how life emerges. Yeah. And all of this, and all of these factors are not put in in what has been placed. Uh, if we check, if you look at educational system, for example, we know already, you know, neuroscience has told us how, you know, how long we can keep attention. Uh, we know already from biology, physiology, you know, we have the sciences to prove how people retain information. And yet we're still keeping with the, oh, kids get to be in school from eight to five. Do sit down for most of that day. Yeah. When we've already known you know, for, for decades already that it's not, you know, that it's detrimental to learning that children move, the children, you know, play with their senses, touch things, and still we're not doing it. What do you think then, on the other hand, would be a better way to think about solving big, wicked problems? Mm. To be honest, that has been a, a big exploration for me for the past few years. Even this word of, you know, being a systems thinker, I didn't even know uh, about it. Not, you know, not, it, it, it came naturally for me. In that sense, being a Filipino and, and being in a, a, a very yeah, extended culture and a working in communities came naturally for me. And I didn't know that there was a language for it, you know, that there's such a thing as being a systems thinker. And I think this is one part of what is missing right now because we are not used to the language of this, you know, emergent systems. We're not used to having, yeah, the, you know, the words, the terms to describe it and to be affiliated with it. I remember when I first met uh, Mara and Jennifer, uh, the, they had this talk in Copenhagen for, I think it was a, a community leader summit. And I was just like, Okay, I you know I was thinking of do I travel to to go there, but I was like like yeah it it, it seems very interesting. So I went, and that was the first time that I heard them talk about zebras unite. And I was just like, there's a name, you know, there's a name for how I do things, and how I feel about being an entrepreneur. Uh, so that for me is very crucial in terms of. How, you know, how might we uh, make all this new vocabulary, new practices be known to others? And that's still what we're missing, you know, that, that bridging that awareness. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what you do for work and how <laughs> systems thinking informs how you do your work? Yeah. So I have, 
I would say I wear multiple hats. I'm a poster child of a multi-potentialite. <laughs> if you ask me, what do I do? I would have to, to uh, ask back, in what context would you want me to answer? Um, so a, a part of the work that I do is I provide consultancy services for organizations. So this is the, you know, helping them think of how their uh, learning programs are and how they can create impact through their learning programs and their community design. So that's that's one layer of the work that I do. Um, and then I also am involved in two nonprofits that I co-founded here in the Netherlands. And one is around neurodiversity and around is uh, around shift which is shifting mindsets, shifting practices. So if if I, you know, if I put in what's the red thread with the things that I do, with the initiatives that I'm part of, I would say that I'm in that intersection of wanting to, you know, wanting to be compassionate in the dying system and giving that space. And then at the same time, I'm into helping uh, change makers birth the new system. So if, if we go with the double loops model from the Berkana Institute, I'm right in that middle of wanting to help yeah, the those that are still in the old system bridge and transition to, to the new system. And I'm also into helping change makers in making sure that what they're carrying and, and what they're bringing out within the immersion system is truly life nourishing and life giving uh, and not coming from a space of fear, space of anger, you know, a space of retaliation, which for me, this is what I'm seeing with all the climate change activism that's happening. Of your, we're trying to birth... Um, climate change practices that are still deeply embedded within a space of rage and a space of distrust, you know, mistrust in, in, in the system. So I'm like, how can we how can we bridge that, you know, in such a way that people who are bringing this new wave ways of thinking, new ways of doing, are coming in from a space of fullness and coming in from a space of that they're birthing this out out of abundance and not of lack. Okay. I'm glad you brought up the two loops model because I think mm -hmm. it's really interesting. Can you, for all the listeners who don't see it in front of them, can you walk us through what that model looks like and yeah. what happens within that? So uh, basically you, you see that there's the first loop, you know, which is the um, current system, so the dominant system. And within that, you know, there's the rising of the dominant system that is held by stabilizers. You know, so these are people, institutions, organizations that that keeps this these systems in place, and they're deeply entrenched and and deeply embedded in in the systems. And we know that there these systems cannot go on because. Either they're not, you know, they're not good for people. They're not good for planet. Uh, we see that there are practices, there are parts of that, you know, of the system that needs to die, to decompose. So we're seeing the decline of the systems. And then underneath that, as other people see that need to shift or the need to put things out differently, 
then there are people who walk out from that system, you know, or, or from the systems that they're part of and are interested in, yeah, bringing the new, you know, in, in looking at things from different, uh, through different ways. And so these walkouts are the, the, the ones that are birthing the emergent systems and they're the, the underloop. And in this underloop, what is very important and what the, what they have um, emphasized on is the the part around finding each other in this emergent system. You know, how can we connect with each other? How can we have networks wherein yeah. we would know who's in the field with us? Who's the who are the walkouts among us? And then from finding each other. There's the nourishing each other, you know, how can we create communities of practice where we share these new practices, where we look at who's doing what and, and, and support each other and amplify the impact. Eventually, that leads to, you know, the, the rising of new systems. And as the new systems are rising, it's very important to highlight, you know, what are these best, best practices? What are these organizations that are doing these new ways of thinking and new ways of being and new ways of practicing. This underloop is very important in terms of yeah, sustaining efforts, you know, of making sure that change makers, walkouts, you know, innovators, they get the support that they need so that they can keep up with birthing the new systems. So there's a, there's a need for support there. And then on the other side of it, you know, on the dominant side of it, as we see that the, the old systems are declining, what strikes me the most in this phase is the need for hospicing. You know, how can we help these old systems die with grace? Yeah. And for me, this is the challenging part. You know, the challenging part of the work of but how can I get into conversations with people who don't want to change you know, or, or, or who are so deeply entrenched with their positions, with their roles in these systems that for them, they cannot see how to transition you know, or they couldn't even you know, get the pulse of what it means to let go of these systems. So for me, this is the... You know, this is the brave space uh, of how can we get into conversations with these people? How can we help bridge them to the new systems? Um, and this is also the very compassionate space of how can I bring these people in without losing myself or without losing also my energy and my enthusiasm in this new system? Because it can be draining. It can be... Uh, challenging so there's there's also you know my hats to those who are hospicing systems right now hey i hope you're enjoying the show if you want to learn more about ecosystem building hop over to socialventurers.com where i've been sharing my insights into the field for the last two years Every two weeks, I lovingly curate the best insights, highlights from the show, resources, and events. If you want those delivered straight to your inbox every two weeks, along with a healthy reminder that your work matters, sign up for Impact Curator. And now, back to the show. 
if we're thinking about the old system and the new system, I think Zebras Unite, for example, is a really good example of the old system was all about unicorns and big (laughs) valuations, whether they create value or not, rah, rah, rah. And then people like Mara and Ania and Astrid and Jen were like, wait a minute, that doesn't sit right. So they were the walkouts of the old system. They were fortunate to find each other and give rise to this new system that goes against the grain of the old system and is establishing a very new norm and culture around how we might re-envision the next economy. So now they are creating the next system and you sit at that intersection of finding the walkouts, helping them find each other, supporting them in giving birth to this new system and providing them with the the soil and the Mm -hmm. water and the sunlight to build this new system is am I getting this right yes I I like I like the to see myself as I help the helpers I I help them I support them in making sure that they are nourished you know that making sure that the programs the, the the trainings the online courses the materials that they're producing are coming in from 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 a lens that is really not life nourishing. Uh, right now, one of my biggest exploration that I think w- I would carry for the next you know few years is really about how how might we design trauma responsive initiatives, you know, and programs. So it's not just looking at you know how can we design for humans you know making it really human centered but really also going into um, restoration as a big part of the process you know how might we restore change makers so that when they're birthing these new systems they're really stepping into their power and stepping into their fullness as individuals. So what I'm hearing is on the one hand, you're a hospice worker and on the other (laughs) hand, you're a midwife and you're sitting in that really interesting space right in between of doing that hard work. I have to be honest with you, I, I would probably shy away from that, especially the trying to bring people along who don't want to see change or who are reluctant to critically assess the old system and maybe have a conversation around why it might not be working for everybody, which we, we have such a need for that. Yes. And yet you seem to crave that kind of interaction. (laughs) Well, I do have my boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good. I'm happy to hear. Um, Could you talk to us about a challenging conversation, a hard lesson Something that still sticks with you from one of those processes that you could share with us. Well, I I can I can put it in the context of what's happening right now with with Russia and Ukraine, and having these conversations uh, in the sense in the in, you know, bringing in also my lived experience as a Filipino that has been colonized for years and that notion of what war is so i've had this conversation at at home with with my husband and, and his serbian russian origin yeah and and, and a, another friend of mine who's who's dutch and we've had this really sticky and really i would say tension-filled conversation around what what is war and who gets to say it's war and 
I'm grateful that in the you know in my trainings in the work that I am part of, uh, I've been taking uh, programs on healing histories. So this also brings in this idea of but there's so many things that we need to heal within the history, and that's also why conflicts keep on arising because they have not been healed. So that I I would say this is one of those conversations where. I chose to sit in tension you know, of really sitting in the fire, like what Gary Reese would say, you know, sit in the fire so that people can hear each other and get to, to know where, you know, where people, the, the stance from where they're coming from. And it is challenging not to be in a space of wanting to pull them out of their stance. So for me, what is crucial in such a conversation is first to acknowledge people and to know where is their resistance coming from. Not until we can really give space to understand where people are coming from, then what we're just trying to do is we're just trying to herd cattle. And we're not really fully seeing them as humans. And this is for me the, yeah, the, like I said, I do know my boundaries. <laughs> A hard, hard uh, learned process of knowing boundaries. So I do know, you know, like getting into conversations like this, I, I do have a sense of, okay, to what extent do I, you know, put myself in this type of conversations? And one of the, you know, one of the mentors and one of the the the, the women that I would say uh, I I admire and I'm working with her right now with her work is Michelle Holiday. She's the author of The Age of Thrivability. And when we had this discussion of, oh, I feel so much of this intergenerational trauma that I have around war as a Filipino, as a brown person. And I shared the poem that I wrote around it. And when I, after I read it, uh, Michelle was just like, would you be willing for us, you know, white people to hear this conversation? And I had to really think because I'm like, I don't know if I, you know, I have the capacity to hold a space like that. And then she said, but what if, you know, a space is offered and held for you with people who are three steps behind you. So you're conversing with people who are somewhat there, you know, that they're finding their way, they're sense-making, they're understanding, they're seeing things that needs to be looked at differently. It's just that they needed, you know, they needed a voice. And I said, yes, I can get into that space. So for me, this is that, you know, of like, if you think of how do we bridge people who have been deeply entrenched into these systems, I would say start with those that are three steps behind you. Bring them in, you know, get them into those, these conversations, sit in the fire with them, and then see how that would go. And then when you have, you know, uh, the capacity, when you have... Uh, the you know when you have restored yourself, try to bring in five steps behind you, yeah, and that for me is like 
wouldn't that be amazing if we have people who are bridging, you know, helping the, that in terms of bridging people? It feels like such a big ask to put that job on you. <laughs> to hold space for other people when, you know, so much has been asked of you already as a woman, as an immigrant, a, a love pet, a brown person. To hold that space for people who may or may not be willing to have those conversations and who look to you to learn if they're willing. I imagine that is very depleting. And it asks a lot of you to do that work if you're willing to do it and when. How do you make sure, you've talked about boundaries, which I think is a really important conversation. <laughs> How do you make sure you have the energy to do it again tomorrow and next yeah. year and 10 years from now? Oh, I didn't even know about this practice. Not until I um, experienced breast cancer at the age of 37. And that is really checking in with myself. Uh, I, I still remember the, uh, the, the the time that it dawned on me. Uh, I, I had chemotherapy and normally my husband would stay home. But for that day, he had to go back to work. And I was just furious because he wasn't messaging me, asking me how I'm doing. And then it just dawned on me, like, you know, like a brick that fell on your hair. I was like, Lana, my goodness, you're 37 years old and you're still asking for someone else to check in with you. So I did a full year on experiment of how does that, you know, how does checking in as a process, as a practice would, you know, feel like for me. So what I did was I had a an alarm set for nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, six o'clock. And whenever that alarm, whenever I hear that alarm, I would stop whatever I'm doing, take a breath and ask myself, Lana, what do you feel right now? How are you at this moment? And I did that for a year. My kids saw me at that time. My kids were five and seven. My kids would seeing what I was doing and they would you know, they started asking mama what are you doing and I said I'm checking in with myself and to the point that my five-year-old at that time after he came home from school said mama every time I go after school and comes come in I'm gonna check in with you how are you doing and he did that they still do that up until now so checking in was you know really became a practice that that saved me in a lot of you know in a lot of uh, uh, moments where it, it can get tricky or it, it also helped me in knowing when to say yes and knowing when to say no I, I can recall a handful of conversations where I'll be asked oh would you want to to do this that I would really literally, even even if the person was right in front of me, say, oh, wait a minute, let me just check in with myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then just really have that, you know, that 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 space and time for myself and, and then answer. So checking in, it has been really a, a valuable practice. And to this day, something that I do on a regular basis. That's wonderful. So checking in with yourself is really taking a moment to unplug from what's going on and asking yourself how you're feeling. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, you do that three times a day. Um, well, multiple, depending on, depending 
don't know, you know, how, how things are doing. That's remarkable. I, I don't think I do that even once a week. I think we have yeah. a lot to learn from you. <laughs> well, the, the, there's a practice from Julia Cameron, which is writing morning pages. So it's like uh, uh, streams of thought that you write, you know, her, her suggestion is even three pages, you know, of, uh, so that's, that's actually a practice that I've been doing for yeah, decades now. So I'll just be writing. I don't, don't get to three pages <laughs> where I do, yeah. you know, put, put every day in the morning, uh, a few minutes to just write, write things down, write, write my thoughts, write, you know, impressions, things that I'm grappling with questions that I have and at the same time yeah how, how I'm doing wonderful that's I think you're setting a great role model a great example for the community and everyone who's listening Lana before you get to the rapid fire round I just want to let everybody know that they can find you and learn more about your work at lanayelenyev.com yes and they can find you on social media as well they can connect with me at LinkedIn and uh, well, other channels, if you want to look at a collaboration uh, that I'm part of is communityrituals.com. Wonderful. I will check that out and make sure that we have all of those links in the show notes as well. All right. Rapid fire round. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Question number one. <laughs> Systems thinking is? Oof. Life wanting to express itself. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. A systems thinker everyone should know about? Michelle Holliday, author of The Age of Thrivability. Am I right that you guys hosted a Crowdcast with her? Yes. Great. I will, I will put the link to that Crowdcast into the show <laughs> notes as well so people can catch up on that. And my last question is, what is one resource that influenced you that you would recommend to emerging systems thinkers <laughs> well we've talked about the two loops right uh the other one which i just recently put out is about the six lenses strategy and this is in terms of how how can we invite more voices in the room how can we invite more perspectives in whatever initiatives and that is taking in um, the lens of a dreamer uh, a healer, a futurist, uh, the lens of an activist, the lens of uh, the elder, and then the lens of the weaver. Fantastic. Is that publicly accessible for people? How can they find out more about that? I, I can share it, the link as well that's in my website. And I've it's a free resource. And I just recently got the, a message from someone who used it with within his team in Cameroon and shared the harvest and how they unpacked some because one took the lens of an elder and unpacked a lot of realizations about decolonization that needs to happen. Oh. And it was just so, so powerful. So I definitely would share that, you know, the link around the six lenses strategy. Wonderful. I'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Lana, thank you so much for making the time. I know it's like 10 p.m. for you right now. <laughs> and I really appreciate you making the time and talking a little bit more about your work. Thank you for sitting in the fire for mm. us. Thank you for holding space. Thank you for being a hospice worker 
for the old <laughs> system and helping us give birth to new systems. I really appreciate everything you do. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, it is my pleasure to be part in these conversations. This is also for me, it's like a way to, again, for us to meet each other in this emergent field. You can find out more about Lana's work at lanayelenyev.com and connect with her on LinkedIn. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Tuscarora, Shakori, Saponi, Okanichi, Lumbee and Ino people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media. <laughs>